We are going to continue today with talking about um, the preeminence of Christ, and we're going to talk about his preeminence, preeminence over the church. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and that kind of uh, paralleled a little bit of what we're doing. But um, one of the things that, that I think we, when we talk about preeminence is talking about the superiority and the greatness of Christ. But you know, people argue all the time about who is the greatest this, or did the greatest that, or what is the greatest other thing. Right? I mean, we, we argue about that kind of stuff all the time. And we even have the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, that tells us this is what someone did better than anybody else, right? You know, and there's a whole big list of those things. And uh, I didn't want to get into all that stuff. But we examine statistics and we evaluate accomplishments. And some things, they're easy. You know, Ohio State is the greatest college football team of all time. So. <laughs> Thought I might get a little something there, uh, and 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 the reality is no, they they really probably aren't, regardless of what some of us might think or not think in this room. But anyway, might be safer to say that the invention of generating electricity has made the greatest contribution to mankind. And you're talking about you know just physical things, you know, that's that's a big deal. It has completely changed how we live, how we even survive in some ways, right? Something else. Elon Musk is the richest man in the world as of January 2022. He does have competitors. His net worth is $243 billion. We can't argue with those numbers. I mean, that's where they are. And you know, I know some of you are thinking, man, I, if, if God would just give me that money, there's a reason why he hasn't given me that money. Okay, <laughs> He knows better. But the point is, Somebody has it. Somebody's the greatest. We can't argue with that. He's got all the dough, right? Minecraft is the best-selling video game of all time. As of September 2021, 238 million copies have been sold. So if those of you who play Minecraft, you're one of 238 million plus. Okay, you got a lot of friends out there. I don't understand it, but I've watched it. I have to admit, it's kind of cool. But anyway, so if you were here last week, you probably already know where I'm going. Christ is above all, right? We can talk about the greatest this and the most wonderful that and different things. But Christ is above all. And what we're going to continue is the theme that Jesus Christ is preeminent or greater than all. There is no way to describe the distance between the greatest of anything on earth or even the universe itself, and the one who spoke it all into existence. And that is who we talked about specifically last week, is Jesus Christ, the Creator. And so we're moving on to that. And so if you will turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. And just for reference sake, let's actually begin in verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And you probably even have some of those things that we read in Ephesians kind of coming back into your mind now, right? So verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Christ holds everything together. And then in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church. 
who was the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the preeminence. So as we look at this idea of Christ being the head of the body, just in a general sense, this is talking about Christ as, as, as the head of the body, the church. Paul is emphasizing the organic nature of the church rather than the organizational aspect of the church. All right? it's, it's more of a relational aspect of it as opposed to, to how it's organized and how it's supposed to be run, so to speak. Um, an example of, of an organizational structure is where we can get, um, sorry about all that, 1 Timothy chapter 3. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, for, I, for if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground foundation, I added that, of the truth. Okay, So this is talking about more of the organizational aspect of the church. And so we can understand that, that there is that side of it. First Timothy 3 begins with the qualifications of elders. It continues with deacons. And then we see what we read here. So the, the reference of the church as a whole is a household or a family. This is not about conducting ourselves in the physical church building, but we're talking about conducting ourselves in the family of God. So this, uh, but it does refer to the church as an organization, okay? But again, I think that when we're talking about Colossians here, it's speaking more about the body as being a living entity. And so uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I think Romans chapter 12 gives us uh, a parallel picture of what um, uh, Paul is saying in Colossians Maybe a little more succinctly, it gives us a little bit of a broader view of that. Colossians chapter 12. Did I say Colossians? Romans chapter 12. Thank you. I'm trying to get my mind around that. And then we're going to look at verse 3. Verse 3, then reading through verse 8. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Okay, right? Accurately, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do have the same function, do not have the same function, so we being many are one in body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And we can go on because it is talking about the church. But what we're looking at here is the church is made up of, the church body is made up of many parts, right? We are many individuals who have different functions, abilities, and even different degrees of abilities. And that's where we have to understand how God works and why he works and what he chooses to do for us and through us. Yet we all make up the body of Christ. So as we talk about the body, it is that organic entity that is all of us, individually, but collectively, right? And I do believe that the Lord does work through 
the local assembly. Um, it doesn't mean that he's not Lord over all of the church. I think that that is there too. But these were written to churches, right? So that we understand that these local assemblies, we are put together as the local assembly, as the local body of believers, but Christ is our head. So as we go back to verse 18, then we see just that phrase added on to it, the church. It's a short phrase added to eliminate any confusion or speculation that Paul was speaking about anything other than the body of Christ being the church. It's just that simple. All right. So here we have, again, as, as we think of this passage here, we have um, Paul telling the Colossians, Jesus Christ is the head over you. He's really speaking to us now and saying Jesus Christ is the head over Lemoyne Baptist Church. The head here is an extremely significant term. It's symbolic for the one who rules. Christ is the one who rules the church. He is our ultimate authority. He is our source of being and he is our purpose. We talked about uh, going to Ephesians. So if you'll turn back to Ephesians one more time, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. I do understand that we read this part, but uh, this is where it really, again, boils down to what we've been talking about here with Christ being our head. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church." which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there we see the rightful place of Christ. It's not something that, we, that he's given. It's something that we acknowledge. We acknowledge who Jesus is. We place ourselves under his authority. We understand that he is the God of the church, right? No other. No other authority. When man, either within or outside of the church, tries to become the authority for the church, we're usurping God himself. And we cannot, we cannot do that. Let me just pause for a moment and, and say that... Um, most of us have probably had an experience where maybe we have known of a church, a board, a pastor, some other leader, whatever, who has usurped the authority of Christ. Um, it doesn't usually end well. And so that's something that we need to understand and appreciate and hold in high regard, even as we look toward another person to lead us. The head is both the motivator and goal for spiritual maturity. Let's stay in Ephesians and look to, and I, and I had this up here for us, look to Ephesians chapter 4. 
verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now I have to admit to you, when we get to heaven, I have one question for Paul. What, how come you didn't like periods? Okay, but you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot going on there. You know what I mean? So we, we would call them run on sentences. I would get in really big trouble in composition class. But the point is, he's continuing with this, with this theme, right? And so it's not really a run on sentence, but there's a lot there. But what he's basically saying is this, Christ is the head and everything flows from him. Do, do we have life in and of ourselves? No. As an individual, as a church, no. Our life comes from him. Everything flows from him. And then we help one another. And so that is what we need to understand. Also, the head is the savior of the body. Staying in Ephesians, look at verse 23 of chapter 5. For the husband, did you have the right verse up there? Hang on. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. So as we see... Christ being the head of the church, the authority over the church, he is also the one who saved the body that he supplies. Okay? So this term is very, very important. But then we look at the idea here then that he's not, he is the head, but he's the head of the body. Well, what's the body as the church as a whole? There must be a local aspect of this, as I mentioned before, because this is what God operated from from the beginning. That's how he operated. He operates under the local church. Jesus rules all believers. Jesus rules over each believer, and Jesus rules over each assembly of believers. It is our responsibility to submit to Christ as our head. I think it's like any form of submission, whether it be Children submitting to their parents, whether it be a submitting at work, whether it be you submitting to, you know, any rules that a, an organization you belong to has to do with, part of it has to do with simply respect, understanding that Christ is our authority. It's not something that he earned, it's who he is. That's the whole point here. It's not that he deserves this. He simply is who he is, and we recognize that. Okay, but as we do that as a, as a church, we don't want to miss or ignore the message of the greatness of Christ. If we do that, then we will miss or ignore the purpose of the church. It follows then that if we miss the purpose of the church, then it will be reflected in how we prioritize and participate in the church. Did you get that? If Christ is not our head, right? then how we proceed in life is going to be reflective of that. But if he is, then whether it be as individuals or whether it be as a body of believers, it will be reflective of how we live our life out. Now the passage goes on to say that Christ is the beginning. We will not spend a lot of time on this particular passage, but Christ is the originator the start of something new. This parallels the thought of Christ being the creator and was before all things. Christ is not so much the beginning of the church, although he is, 
but the beginning of the new life that makes the church possible. That's what we're talking about. He is the beginning. He is the one who started all of this. He is the one who started life with us. We might say that Christ being the beginning is the what. And then the next thing we're going to be talking about is the how. The next phrase being, Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Sorry, I'm a little behind on my notes, but I got all this stuff going on. Anyway, so Christ is the firstborn from the dead. The first thing that we should do is compare the phrase that we looked at last week in verse 15. Just to glance back at verse 15, what does it say? He is the image of the visible God, the firstborn over all creation. Christ is the firstborn over all creation is what we read there. This distinguished Jesus from being a part of creation. Instead, it accurately shows that Jesus is the primary in position over all created things. That's what we saw here. All right. So Jesus is not a part of creation. He, he, he wasn't created by what we see, but he's over all of it. Right. And again, it tells us that he holds everything together. But in verse 18, it reads just a little bit differently, doesn't it? He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead different phrase firstborn used in this way still carries all of the weight of having that place of favor with the father and of primary rank above all others okay that that meaning didn't change jesus christ is the preeminent one in relation to the resurrection in relation to the church in that way he is the firstborn from the dead but it also maintains the connection with all others who are from the dead. Jesus is both the cause and the pattern for our resurrection. Let's take a look at this in the scriptures. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, and, and who, who are we speaking about here? We're speaking about um, uh, Mary and Martha when he was speaking with them, when he was talking with them, when he was going to raise Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a good question. It's a good question. But look at what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. I think this is really amazing. See, Christ's sonship being declared the Son of God is directly linked to his resurrection. That's, that's uh, something that I, I want us to explore. We might think, well, well, wait. We already established earlier in this passage that Jesus is the very nature of God, right? He's God. That's true. But let's ask this question. What if Jesus never rose from the dead? What if he didn't rise from the dead? If Jesus had not risen, he would not be God. Now, again, we might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you're saying some pretty serious stuff here. But think about it. If Jesus did not fulfill his mission and did not pay the price for our sins, and then obviously didn't rise again, he would not have fulfilled his word. Can God not fulfill his word? Well, he has to. 
Now, the situation really isn't even hypothetical that I'm asking because we're talking about the redemptive plan of God, of an all-powerful God. It's not hypothetical, but it is conditional. And understand the condition was met. But once Jesus became in the flesh as the Lamb of God, his resurrection was critical. It had to take place. This condition of redemption had to be met. So as we read, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Let's look at a couple of other passages here. 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the firstfruits, very similar to the language we're talking about here, of those who have fallen asleep for since by man came death, and we know that, by man, meaning the Son of Man, Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. Do you see how these two things are linked? And then Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So yes, this condition was met. What I was telling you was not like, well, what if, you know, it, it's just, it, it just comes down to, was this condition met? If it wasn't met, then, then Jesus claims would have gone away. They, they would not have come true. But because it was met, it proves that he is God. And this, there's a, a couple beautiful verses that I wanted to, uh, to share with you. And honestly, this is not something I necessarily put together in the past. Maybe so, but maybe not quite this um, determined. But there are a couple of passages that link the deity of Christ with his resurrection. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His sonship, his godhood, and his resurrection are directly linked here. That's, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So it, it's not even just that we can speculate, well, what if, right? Basically, this is saying, he is God's son because he rose from the dead. Going back to Ephesians 1 again. You guys are like, man, we've already read this a couple of times, but let's see what it says. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What does that signify? Right? Sitting at the right hand of God? That's the chosen place. Yes, he's God far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that in every name that is named, not only in this age, but, but also in which, that in which is to come. Sorry about that. So here we have a direct link to the deity of Christ and to the resurrection of Christ. And then we see that last phrase there, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In order to keep things in context, we referred to the last part of verse 18 last week, right? That in all things he may have the preeminence. We, we, we jumped ahead a little bit last week as we're talking about him being creator and those other aspects. And we moved ahead and we said, it's, there's a purpose for this. Paul is talking about these things because we need to understand Christ is, to, is superior and we need to recognize him as such. So we will conclude... Um, with the first part of verse 19 this week. 
Uh, actually, verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Not the first part, but just 19. So, so think about this. Now, now we're moving forward just a little bit more. We've talked now about his preeminence in different ways. And then we see this last phrase here, For it pleased the Father that in, in him all the fullness should dwell. This verse is an exclamation point on the entire case for Christ's deity and superiority. That's really what it is. It's, 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 it's kind of a, of a summary statement that we are given. And so what have we seen here when it comes to the preeminence of Christ? What have we seen? If he is preeminent in all things, what, what, did, what did Paul show us in, in, in this roughly a paragraph? That Christ is God, that he is also Lord or Master, that he is Creator, that Christ is eternal, preexistent, that he is the sustainer, that Christ is the head of the body, which is the church, and Christ is the resurrection. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Now, this, this also links us up with, you see verse 20, and by him, right? We'll get into that next week. But to try to, to, try to do justice to those verses this week would have just been too much. So I don't know when we're going to end this morning. It might be a little bit early. Okay, it's okay. I've gone over plenty of times too. But the, but the point is this. As we think about these things, what is the takeaway? First, we need to gain a great, greater appreciation or renewed appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Just, just standing back, so to speak, and understanding and recognizing, man, who is the God that we serve? Who is this Savior that came to give us life? He's amazing. Like we said last week, just one nanosecond, God takes his power off of creation and it dissolves. We, we know that that is physically true, right? That's physically true because we don't fully understand. I'm not saying God's gravity. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying he says, by him, all things consist. They hold together. So if he stops consisting, <laughs> right, then we don't. We're done. We, we, we evaporate, right? Which is just amazing to think about. But I want you to notice something, because this can be a challenge, we talk about, you know, Elon Musk, right? I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but, but, but think about it for a minute. There are some things that we can relate to on his level. Many of us own a car. He owns a car company, okay? But he probably owns a car. Um, he breathes roughly the same air we do. I don't think he pays anything more than we do for it, okay? Um, he has some of the same amenities we have, Maybe not on the same level, but he does, right? Um, when you think about it, there's going to be a certain point where we're going to stop breathing. He's going to stop breathing. That equalizes everybody, right? So what am I getting at? He's just a person. Does he have more pull than you or I do? Yeah. Then you can fill that in and say, so? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? So, so what I'm trying to say is overall, you know, we can relate to him in some ways. Who knows? Maybe some of you out here, you like technology. He likes technology. Maybe he likes to fish. You can talk to him on that level if you ever met him, right? I don't know. But you see what I'm trying to say? But here's my point in all this. There can come a point where we start to see the glory of God and it starts to become to where there's a distance. How can I relate to this great and awesome God? Is that the purpose that the Lord has in sharing all this with us? I don't believe that's the case. And I think that even how this is structured helps us understand that. Look at what happens. What we see is we see these character qualities, not, not that they're unpersonal, right? But they get to be very big. He's God. He's creator. And what do they funnel and focus down to? The fact that he is the one who will raise us from the dead because of what he did. Folks, that gets very personal. He is our leader. That's very personal. He's our ultimate leader, the head of the church. Jesus is the first resurrected one who has secured our resurrection into eternal life. One thing that we want to do is be very careful not to, to, to fully understand who God is, but understand that he revealed himself to us so that we would know him, so that we would have a relationship with him. Is that not right? That's why he called us into his family. If we are his, then he wants us to be his follower. He wants us to understand that we are his child. We also need to remind ourselves that Paul is building a case against false teaching. Paul is building a case against false teaching. Now, again, I told you last week, I'm not trying to tease you with this, okay? We're not there yet. But there is a purpose behind Paul helping these Colossians. By the way, he's already called these people twice faithful. These are faithful followers of his. But he's saying, and we already covered this, I'm praying for you so that you will grow in these certain areas, right? And we said that's a good template for us. But then I also want you to see who Jesus is. Why is that? Because there was something out there that was messing with them. There was something out there that was threatening them. We're going to get into that eventually, but here's the point, folks. Do we not have philosophies and temptations and other things that are trying to call us away from our God, from our Lord, from our sustainer, from our head, from our one who rose from the dead to basically pattern for us what we are going to enjoy? Yes. And so that is why Paul is laying this case. There's a lot that's going on in our world too, and we can use what the Lord has taught us here to affirm what is right and to refute what is wrong. Folks, we need that. And that goes back to the whole idea of knowing his will in a wise way, of being able to apply what we know wisely 
and to increase our knowledge of God. And so what does he do after he, te- after he prays? He's saying he's praying for the Colossians in this way. What does he do? He has a Christology lesson, right? He has a theology lesson about who Jesus is. Now, we've been able to look at some other verses to bring some more depth to that, and it's not exhaustive. But it is very instructive. And so as we consider who Jesus is, the preeminent one, he is preeminent over the church. He's preeminent over this church. And he is the supreme ruler over each and every one of our lives. Folks, our head is also the one who died and rose again. To be that pattern for us, Basically, what he's saying is, you're coming too, <laughs> right? If you place your confidence in me and what I did and the finished work on the cross and in the hope of the resurrection, right? That's still part of the gospel. That will, that will be yours as well. And so we see the greatness of God. We see his mercies and grace in this. And in all of this, I think it should motivate us to voluntarily, to want to be under his authority, to want to do what pleases him, to want to be obedient, to want to be a part of one another's lives because you can't pull one from the other, right? The head of the body, the supreme ruler of his church, And so as we kind of put these things together and understand, as we're placing ourselves under the authority of Christ, we're doing that individually, but we're also doing that together. What a beautiful picture. And so he supplies our life. He supplies what we need. And then we, in turn, help one another to reflect him, to be more like him, to be a good follower of his, to live a worthy life. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But we're inching closer to this problem that the Colossians had. And my plan is, as we lay this out, I'm just telling you ahead of time a little bit, I want to lay out some of the things that are out there today and look at some similarities. So we're going to be expanding a little bit on uh, not just the, the very facts of Colossians, but what's the principle behind it? And then look at some of the things that are out there today and say, okay, How does this line up compared to what um, uh, Paul is instructing the Colossians to look out for? So that's kind of just a little bit of a forecast where we're headed, all right? Jesus Christ is preeminent. He's preeminent over any and all things, physical, spiritual, anything and all things created, but it gets more specific. He's the head of the church. And he is the firstborn, the first one, to come from death, understanding that there's many, many more that are going to be coming from that too. And if we've placed our faith in him, that's going to be us. Resurrected bodies, fellowshipping with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I feel like in, in my Christian life, I just, it seems like I I struggle with balance. 
there's there's this idea of of the doing but then there's also the being there's there's principles and rules so to speak and then there's grace and love well then there's looking at the greatness of who you are almost to the point where we we can't touch you it seems and yet you came to be with us you came to this earth so that we can have a relationship with you and we should and so just that whole balance lord be with us help us to navigate that together and and individually as families and as a church family you are a wonderful savior you are a great god it's such a privilege to be called your child it really is to be adopted into your family Lord, we were chosen. We were chosen for a purpose. But we were also chosen to truly know you, to have an intimate relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that some of these really big concepts wouldn't cause a distance, but would actually cause a greater intimacy, a greater love, a deeper appreciation and a deeper desire to serve you. And it's in the preeminent name, the great and glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.